And of course, the Israelites under Pharaoh knew a lot about murder. Life was cheap. And as they came out of that world of Pharaoh and Egypt into the freedom that one day would be Israel, God needed to give them this command, Thou shalt not kill. And I want us to look at for a considerable time, it's not the only part of our subject, but I want us to look at the evil of murder, and I think it will answer the need for this commandment. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. I have a question for you. Do you have a gun behind your door? Do you have it stored safely away? Well, I'm asking because today we're going to be looking at the commandment, Thou shalt not kill. And it's not only an exhortation that we should not actively take our hands and weapons to murder someone, but that also that we should prevent unnecessary death. There is wrapped up in this command not only an ex a responsibility to avoid and stay away from the act part of destroying life, but that we should also be preventative, and that we have a responsibility in that area too. So stay tuned as we get to that. We have a hymn today with the Whitfield Choir singing, Wonderful Grace of Jesus, and we hope that you'll be blessed through that. We're also looking at Romans chapter 1, and some questions here today. What was God's response to man's course of rejecting the light of God. Let's turn to verse 24 to answer that, Romans chapter 1. Wherefore, God also gave them up unto uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, this is speaking about uh, the awful sin of uh, homosexuality. It's dealing with those who have given themselves over to practices which Romans chapter 1, God forbids. And indeed, he refers to such practice and to such people as those whom he has given up. And here in verse 26, it talks about, gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. And so this is the language of God against these terrible sins, against God's creative powers and against nature. In verse 28, it says that he left them to their own devices. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And that brings us to the question, what does the word reprobate mean here in verse 28. Well, the Greek word is adokimos, and it's translated in another part of the New Testament as castaway. God deals with such as castaways, and therefore the language of giving them up. That means that their minds and hearts are abandoned to do evil. They do not exercise conviction uh, of sin. They are dead to the general call of God unto salvation. And they have no interest in deliverance from sin and its consequences. They're given over. That is a tragic, tragic state to be in. And 
this is really a judgment in itself. This is God leaving men to continue their own ways, leaving them to their own consequences, and of course it brings miserable misery in this life and eternal death in the life to come. It's very important that you read Romans chapter 1 and you grapple with the language here. So we see that all men are under God's wrath, Jews and Gentiles, that it's due to ungodliness, that means men turn away from God, and then it leads to unrighteousness. So the practice follows the abandoning of the principle. The consequence is God's wrath. God gives men over to do their own ways and leaves them in the darkness of their sin. What a tragedy. What a judgment it is in itself. A fearful, fearful situation to be in. And we need to pray that God will, in mercy, turn men to the light and that those who are receiving that light do not turn away from it to the point where they're abandoned, but rather that in mercy, God will turn men onto himself and bring them to the work of salvation through his own Son. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. We're turning now to our hymn, the Whitfield Choir, singing for us, Wonderful Grace of Jesus.
The sixth commandment is but four words, thou shalt not kill. I think we would all agree here today that one of the worst things that could happen us is to witness a murder. I have to say that after growing up 28 years in Northern Ireland, a place of civil war, guerrilla warfare going on where there was much bloodshed, that within the first three weeks of coming to Surrey, I was closer to murder than ever before. Right on our street on a Sunday morning, three murders were committed. I didn't witness them. I wasn't in any danger. But as far as distance from my house to that house, I was closer to murder here in Canada than any time in all the mayhem and the disorder that I grew up in in Northern Ireland. Murder is a great problem in this world. Inside the American cities and in our Canadian cities, murder is rampant. There's hardly a day goes by, but murder statistics are climbing all the time. We think that we are living in a very modern and civilized world, and we think that civilization is climbing higher and higher, more and more order, more and more peace, more and more we live uh, getting free from such awful tragedy of murder. The fact is that the 20th century was the century of the greatest number of murders in all of world history. When you factor in the millions of in Russia that were put to death under communist regimes, likewise in China, they were many, many millions. Two world wars. Now, I do not believe that every engagement in war is wrong. I don't believe that it's murder, but undoubtedly the aggressor who crosses borders, who bombs and kills in mass numbers, is guilty of murder. There's been the Vietnam War, Korean War. There are wars going on today. Political leaders, seekers of power, various organizations supporting and promoting bloodshed in various parts of the world. And then as Bible students, and we come to read the Bible, we find that there were many murders committed right here. We read about Cain, the first murder in the world, and he was the firstborn in the world. Can you think of that? Can we be surprised at the staggering statistics of murder whenever the first one naturally born into the world became a murderer? The first two sons of Adam and Eve, one was the victim of murder, one was the perpetrator of murder. Such is its evil. Now, you may question, why is killing or taking human life called murder. We wouldn't do that if we set a trap for a rat. We wouldn't do that if you said, well, that dog has to be put down. I remember the day that we had to put down our dog. It was not easy. And there were tears all around in our household when our dog got to the point where 
It was living in such misery we had to ask the vet to put it down. But it wasn't murder. And how can we draw the line between a well-loved animal and the life of a human being? What is your definition of murder? I think we would agree that it is the taking of a human life. Anything that actively ends or results in the death of a human is murder. Whether it is a baby in the womb or a senior who can incapable of feeding him or herself, or a neighbor. To take a neighbor's life is murder, or a spouse, or even to take your own life as in suicide. That is murder. The Bible tells us that the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. We have no right to intervene, to actively have any part in the demise, the death of a human life. And so we have this commandment, thou shalt not kill. And the question is, why is it even needed? Surely it is self-evident that to take the life of another human being is wrong. And so when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, set them free crossed the Red Sea, brought them to Mount Sinai, and gave them these ten laws, why was the sixth law, thou shalt not kill? Well, of course, by that time, there were murderers in the camp, and Moses was one of them. You remember how uh, when he was 40 years old, he had grown up in the house of Pharaoh, and he had seen an Egyptian taking or striking a, an Israelite, and whatever happened, Moses killed him and buried him in the sand. And for that, he fled. So, Moses knew about bloodshed. And of course, the Israelites under Pharaoh knew a lot about murder. Life was cheap. And as they came out of that world of Pharaoh and Egypt into the freedom that one day would be Israel, God needed to give them this command, thou shalt not kill. And I want us to look at, for a considerable time, it's not the only part of our subject, but I want us to look at the evil of murder, and I think it will answer the need for this commandment. Murder is a great evil because it is firstly the work of Satan. And we've been learning the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how Satan brought and lured Adam and Eve to their death to bring them out of that first estate of righteousness and life into an estate of misery and death. And of course, that was Satan's work. And the Lord Jesus, preaching and teaching on this, he said, your father was a murderer from the beginning. And so every murder, every killing, well, you can trace it to Satan, to the devil. 
And it is certainly part of his game to bring this world into a place of misery and of bloodshed. In this passage we have read where Cain murdered his own brother, uh, we see the evil of it. We see the, the anger and the wrath and the hurt that it brought to that very first family. You'll notice, too, that it was heart work. You go back to Genesis 4 and verse 5, and it says there that after Cain's offering was rejected, right in the middle of verse 5, and Cain was very wroth. Murder is the fruit of man's anger. Whatever upsets him, whatever it is that caused man to fly into a rage. In this case with Cain, of course, it was envy, because Abel brought a sacrifice to God, and God accepted it and accepted Abel. But Cain, he didn't listen to the way of sacrifice. He brought of his own fruit of the ground, and it was rejected, and he was rejected. And out of that sense of rejection and the envy that was in his heart for Abel, there was working within him this rage. He was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And it was just written all over Cain, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. It was written. The friendship the brotherliness between Cain and Abel at that point was over, and there was murder within his heart. He sought his opportunity, and we're told in verse 8 that Cain rose up. If ever there was premeditated murder, here it is. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. But it started with anger. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5:22, this is the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, thou fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, murder is a great evil because it is Satan's work, and it gets into the heart of man. It was because Cain was out of fellowship with God that his heart went wrong, and this hatred, enmity, this, this envy against his brother who was accepted by God grew and grew until he killed him. Murder is a great evil when it's premeditated, because it's in the thoughts, and it's in the very purposes of the heart. And it appears here in Genesis 4 that Cain, from that day when he got angry, just waited for the right time. When you think of the murder statistics that are in the world today, just think of the amount of murder that's going on inside hearts. Thankfully, many of them actually are not carried out in real physical terms. The trigger is not pulled. The accident that is plotted and schemed as murder doesn't work out, and many back off from that original 
plan and scheme. And so the statistics are a way down as according to the thoughts and the purposes of man in his heart. And that brings it right close to home here today, because there's none of us who have not been angry with a brother, a friend, a family member. There's none of us that have not had murderous thoughts, which brings this whole problem of murder right down to our own lives, to our own hearts, and our own relationship with God. Murder is a great evil because its crime harms its perpetrators. It's so senseless. And when you think of the murderer when he's caught out and found out, sentenced, tried, jailed, some executed, you just think of the senselessness of murder. Look at what fell upon Cain when you think of the evil that befell upon him because of this you'll find that God finds him out. In Genesis 4, verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? Now, this is like the investigator knocking on the door and saying, Do you know who your brother is? God's speaking directly to Cain and asks him the question. And of course, if Cain was right with God, he would be honest. But no, he seeks to hide, and he says, I know not. There's his lie. So murder leads to a lie. And then he says, am I my brother's keeper? I don't care. I don't care. And we're going to get to the point today that because God has said, thou shalt not kill, we should be all about preserving life. We should care. We should care. But Cain, this evil that was in his heart. It meant that, well, he was willing to commit murder. He was willing to cover it up, tell a lie, and then he would take a stand that he doesn't care. Well, God says to him, verse 10, what hast thou done? God knows. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and there is the cry of justice. And justice will now reign and rule over this deed of Cain. And God says to him in verse 11, And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. You're the man, and you're the guilty one. And now the murderer, the perpetrator of this evil, he is now under the judgment of God. What does it do to him? Well, in verse 12, it makes him a fugitive. He is on the run. He's on the run. I wonder how many fugitives there are today all around us. They're on the run from the crime of murder. Maybe they didn't pull the trigger, but they were part of the gang that plotted and schemed. Or maybe they had some uh, plan and plot that they would put someone out of this world that they might gain money and promotion and so on. And today they're just living to cover it all up, and they're living as a fugitive. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment. Here's the, 
the evil now that falls upon Cain, my punishment. He's found out. He's guilty. He's under God's judgment. He's a fugitive. And he senses the punishment. And he says, it's greater than I can bear. I can't live with myself anymore. How many are living in death row today? And they would, if they could, end their own lives. How many can't live with themselves because they are guilty of such a crime of seeking the death, the destruction of their fellow man? Think of the conscience that is troubled day and night under the punishment. I can't stand it anymore. There are some who, after maybe 20 years, give themselves up for a crime that they can't live with anymore trying to hide it. And here's a place I think it's needful for us to talk about the awful evil and the murder in abortion. The harm to the perpetrator in the murder of the unborn, it is untold. The killing of millions of babies from the womb in civilized countries where we have now state-sanctioned, state supported and state-funded abortion. And to think that general revenue of tax dollars is going to the death of children in the womb, the guilt that it brings upon nations. But think of the, the young woman going through with an abortion the harm that she is doing to herself, as well as destroying her own offspring. Think of it. Think of the evil. Modern man, civilized man, intelligent man, killing his own offspring, and then afterwards can't live with herself or himself if the father perhaps has appealed that an abortion should take place. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and I hope that you have been encouraged and instructed through his word, and that we will remember the importance of keeping this sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And that applies to the Christian in the New Testament just as much as in the Old, because we are still under law, not just under grace. We are under grace for salvation, but we're under law for the rule of life, how we should behave ourselves in this world. And once you break down that law, well, you leave society right into chaos. So the Ten Commandments still apply. Thou shalt not kill still applies. And we should exercise not only uh, that we do not participate in death, but that we prevent death and that we work toward mercy and life. Thank you for being a part of the program. Stay tuned now as we move to our announcements. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. 
This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdalefpc.ca, and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning, and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.